Hi, this is Joe Van Wee, your host of All Better. I had a few announcements. If you're interested in subscriber content, which we're about to launch, this would be step workshops, cognitive behavioral therapy tools, and mindfulness practices that are approachable and can be very useful in reducing anxiety, rumination, and depression. Please send us a, a message on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And if you like the episodes that you've been hearing very much, please stop by Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and a small review. This helps us stay relevant in the field of content and helping people and their families with substance use disorder. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All Better. I am your host, Joe Van Wee. Today's guest is John Knowles. John is a seasoned professional as a clinician, interventionist, and administrator in the addiction treatment industry. John Knowles has given his life to those in need for over 30 years. Growing up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, John is a lifelong native to NEPA region, where he and wife, Stacy, still reside today. John attended SUNY Empire State College in Saratoga, New York, where he received a bachelor's in business, marketing, and economics with a specialization in addiction treatment administration, as well as a master's in social policy. He is also a certified alcohol and drug counselor in Pennsylvania. He has completed the Rutgers University Advanced School of Addiction Studies and is trained in the Johnson Institute model for interventions. John began his career in 1987 as an adolescent therapist at Marworth Treatment Center. Soon after, he moved to Tully, New York, where he was appointed Director of Clinical Services for Tully Hill, a position he held for over 10 years. In 2007, he and his wife moved to New Hampshire, where he converted the historic Daniel Webster Estate into Webster Place Recovery Center a treatment campus which offered detox, residential services, and a drop-in center with housing. Shortly thereafter, John accepted a position as Chief Administrator for Clearbrook Lodge in 2010 and moved to Senior Marketing Representative in 2014. Alongside his clinical and administrative expertise, John has served as a supervisor and on various advisory boards, has extensive public speaking experience, and is a recognized expert on clinical time. We're here now with John Knowles. Uh, full disclaimer, I've known John since uh, by my adolescence through my dad. Uh, and worked with them at Syracuse. I thought today um, John has had a prolific career in drug and alcohol treatment from all aspects as a master clinician, outreach, messaging, uh, licensed interventionist. Uh, I wanted to talk about that because it spans over three decades. But first and foremost, I wanted people to get a context of who you are, John, and if we could start, what what kind of world in Scranton are we looking at that you were born into? So, uh, Joe, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I am the youngest of six kids in a good Irish Catholic family, and uh, we were colorful at best. Uh, I had uh, three brothers, two sisters, and uh, it was I uh, grew up and started out in North Scranton and then moved to the hill section of Scranton uh, where I went to school and I think colorful is a great way to describe us. I was, uh, uh, you know, we were very involved and my dad was a successful guy. World, uh, you know, he was a flight instructor in World War II and in a Navy. And, uh, and my uncle had a business together and uh, they were pretty busy. And my brother, brothers and I uh, had a look, little bit of age difference, but uh, my one brother and I, my brother Kevin and I were uh, quite a duo. And uh, we were always, uh, we seemed to find trouble uh, quite often. And 
we started using quite early, by about 12 or 13, we used to follow the Stegmeyer truck around the hill section when it would make the drop-offs, and we were careful only to take two or three bottles out of each case off mm-hmm. of back porches so that uh, they didn't notice that they were gone. And, but we could usually get a case of beer, you know, just on Clay Avenue, and uh, <laughs> it was a good, uh, you know, that would set us up for the weekend, and uh, we... From there, from there, I uh, got involved in some other stuff, and yeah. you know, did a lot of drugs. And uh, I can remember the first time I got drunk. It was like, uh, you know, I felt like I was in the James Bond movie or something. You know, I was just yeah. watching the world go by and all the action. And uh, first time I got high wasn't that far different. And I swore I'd never do coke till I did it. And yeah. I swore I'd never take pills. And Swore I'd never do opiates and I swore I'd to, you know, do anything until I did them. And then I realized, wow, this is why people do these things. This is a, this is a good high. I was a big guy. I was a good athlete. Uh, and uh, it was uh, it was fun in the beginning. And then it got uh, then it got really bad. Yeah. And when it got bad, it got, you know, I was exposed to a lot of violence, exposed to a lot of craziness. Uh, Bad people, bad yeah. things. And uh, what decade is this? What this is the seventies. Seventies, right? Yeah. This is uh late seventies, early eighties. Um I didn't make it long and I ended up getting sober at twenty four. I got confronted the first time at sixteen. Somebody said, You know, John, you don't drink like other people and and I hung around with some pretty heavy hitters. Yeah. And uh and then at nineteen, uh I had my first intervention and uh, I didn't it didn't take. It was, and that wasn't common back then. Like intervention, it was kind of just family intervention. Was there? Was there? Yeah, yeah. This was my no. friends. It was actually. Yeah. It's uh It's actually a fair comical story. Uh, now it was sad. Then, yeah, that was where my life had come. But it was folks I was working with in the carnival. Actually, pulled me aside. A bunch of the sideshow freaks and uh, headed up by this. The skeleton girl, uh, you know, they sat down and said, you know, John, we're concerned about your drinking. And at that time, I had gotten thrown out of Bloomsburg University after one semester. And rather than go home and face the music, I ended up in a bar and uh, got a job in the carnival as a clown on stilts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so uh, that took me all around. That's awesome. It's 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 interesting. You know, it's, it's how I met my wife, which is a whole nother story, but it's always best to have her tell it because it's more believable. They think I'm just lying, you know, but yeah, uh, yeah I ended up being a clown yeah. in Carnival on Silson. I looked pretty good there. Yeah. You know, I, I functioned pretty good in that world. And, uh, but one day in uh, uh, La Feria de San Juan in Roberto Clemente Stadium, uh, a bunch of them pulled me aside and said, you know, John, you don't drink like everybody else. You, you're such a nice boy. And they were lovely people. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, they were, they were, they were lovely people and they, uh, but they were, you know, princess Annie, the world's smallest woman and the bearded lady and the skeleton girl. Oh, wow. Her father was the fighter eater and the sword swallower. And, you know, those were my friends. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> I think of two movies, I think of the jerk. And then did you ever see big fish? Yeah. I have, yeah. That's a beautiful, at the end, all his friends, like, and there's one section of the carnies coming. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. And I, and what I realized by the end of the day, I figured my problem is I'm hanging around with people like this, but sad yeah. thing was they were, they were just lovely people who cared about me. Yeah. And I didn't catch that. And I had lost several relationships, uh, you know, in high school, as early as high school. You know, I remember one girl telling me that, uh, I, I don't know that I can date a guy like you. And, uh, I was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was had a lot of money. Uh, I was always involved in, you know, shady, nefarious things. And sure. So it was, uh, I was an exciting guy to be around, but uh, I certainly was not the guy you took home to meet your parents. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I just kind of continued on. I met my wife. I got married at uh, uh, 41 years ago. It was 41 years ago today. And, and the anniversary, it's today. Yeah. Today is my, you know, yeah, it was... Uh, February 20th, 1981. It was just a, uh, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me by far. Yeah. She's just a lovely woman who, God bless her. She was a nurse who thought she could save me and, uh, she didn't have a clue what she was getting into. Did you want her to save you? I, I was not aware that I was drowning. So I didn't think I needed a lifeline. I thought I was doing pretty good. And I thought my life, you know, that uh, the life I was leading was fairly interesting and 
eclectic and all that. And uh, the reality was I was uh, on, on the fast track to, you know, crashing and, and soon did and uh, then crashed several times and, you know, did all the things you have to do to get to where you're at. You know, the, yeah. I'd get arrested, I'd get put in jail, I get, you know, all this stuff was happening and I'd, and I think, well, how does a guy like me end up in spots like this? You know, and I, I had a wonderful, you know, as crazy as my world was, I had great values. You know, it was work hard, play hard, take care of the people you love. I got sent to a private school. I got, I had all the right stuff that if I just suited up and showed up, I'd, I would have been okay. I went to college. I was going to be an athlete. I thought all this other stuff. I lasted one semester. I got thrown yeah. out. Ironically, uh, 40 years later, uh, talk about redemption, I I get a phone call one day and they said, Mr. Knowles, uh, Bloomsburg University, we're opening up a school of social work. We'd like you to be on our advisory board. And I started to laugh and I said, uh, you should know that in 1978, I was asked to leave Bloomsburg never to return. And she started laughing. She said, well, I think those guys are gone now, but I'll check. And uh, You won. Attrition. I outlasted them. And uh, yeah, so I had those types of things that I was able to. I've had a million of those things happen to me in, in recovery, but <clears throat> yeah, it was very painful at the end. I was suicidal. Uh, my last drunk, I uh, was in my basement hanging myself. Yeah, and my wife walked in. Oh God! Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. And she handles it much better than I do. Yeah, she's she really has a better handle on it. And uh, but you know, here's you know, this angel. Who, my little babies are upstairs sleeping, and and that's what it come to. And of course, that was the end for her. The unacceptable became unacceptable, and she made a couple of phone calls. And next thing you know, my father's at the house, and yeah. my mother's calling me. And I worked with my father in law, and everybody pretty much said the same thing. You know, John, it's it's over. And uh, my father showed up with my, you know, uh, and for my dad to come to my house unannounced was unheard of. And probably scary. It was very scary. I thought something had happened. I thought my mom yeah. died or something. That would be the only reason he would come to visit me unannounced. And and he came in and, he, and his chin started to quiver. Yeah. And he said, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And I thought, wow, something something bad's happened here. He said, it's about your drinking. He said, uh, it's killing you. Look at you. He said, worse yet, it's killing us to watch you. Yeah. And... uh he said something to me very profound at that time. He said, you know, son, life doesn't have to be this way. And I didn't know that. You know, my dad drank a fifth of the O for lunch. Uh, my brothers were all pretty heavy hitters. Uh, everybody I knew, you know, alcohol and drugs was a big part of their lives uh, because that's all I hung yeah. out with. I had other people in my life who were wonderful, lovely people who didn't have a whole lot to do with me. You know, I, yeah. I had some cousins across the street here. They were lovely people, but you know, my aunt Ellen didn't have, let's stay away from John for a little bit, you know? Um, but it was, uh, it was very profound. He said, I have a friend in AA. I'd like you to talk to him. And what my dad had done, God bless him. And his, uh, you know, the, I, I'm so blessed. I look at it now. I'm so blessed that, uh, uh, he he had to love me in such a way that uh, he was able to uh, to sort through his own you know craziness of his yeah. own drinking and everything, and went to a friend of his who had been sober for about twenty years. And in the eighties, now this, this is, is in, yeah, nineteen eighty four, November of nineteen eighty four, and he went to uh, his friend Jack and said, uh, Jack, I, I don't know what's going on. I think he's drinking too much, and blah blah. blah. And Jack said, Well, you. Here's what you need to do. And and he laid out a script for him, you know, do this, 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 and this. And my father followed it to a T. And when I went to argue and say, you know, well, I'm not. And, you know, I had enough respect for my dad that I would not, uh, even in my craziness. You know, it's not like uh, sometimes I see people, they sit in my office and they curse at their parents and yell and scream and I, mean, I wouldn't. Yeah. Even, well, your dad's him. a World War II vet. You admired him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, had a, they had a different way of keeping you in line then. So it was. Uh, and he probably choked you up a bit too. Yeah. He, yeah. Well, he clocked me, and then my other my brothers would all clock me for why are you pissing dad off. You know, it's uh, <laughs> you know, what's the matter with you? And uh, and then my mother would go, you know, you disappointed me, which is even worse. I'd take the beating any yeah, day. That's but crushing. My mom saying, you know. I'm, disappointed in your son and uh but that was it and uh but he did you know it just shows you that uh 
you know, how crazy this thing is and how it affects everybody. And my father, God bless him, uh, blamed himself. You know, sure. his fault that this was alcoholism. And so he stopped drinking. He never, he didn't drink again until he, till he died. And he was a heavy hitter. And, uh, you know, he, he was, and we That's had a, wild. Oh, and yeah, I didn't have much of a relationship with him. I mean, he was there and he was, he was good to me. But uh, after that, he, he really became very, very close. And uh, I was very blessed. Yeah. I was very blessed with that. And, and when he died, I was, I was holding his hand, you know, and I, I, I always like to think I was uh, very fortunate. I got to hold his hand when he met God, you know, and yeah. that we had that kind of relationship. And so that was a nice, uh, and it was the one I had with him, you know, and each of us, my wife often talks about same house, different home. You know, Where are you with your siblings? Like, where are you in league with all the Kevin's younger? I'm the older. youngest. I'm You're the, the youngest. Yeah. I'm the baby. Uh, I have a sister who's uh, my sister, Mary Kay is uh, uh, much older. She'll get mad if I tell you. Yeah, sure. And my brother Jimmy and we lost my sister Nancy a few years ago. Yeah, and she was uh, she really was my rock. And I I often think about my mom and my sisters and my and my wife that um, you know I come from a very Irish family and very Catholic family, and women hold a very special place there. And my job, my whole life has been take care of the girls. You know, my father's last words to me were, "Jesus, please take care of the girls." And he then he died. He's know? calling you Jesus. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, he was. But that was his. Uh, you know, that, I mean, that's how the world was. Sure, he took it care was. of the girls, and and uh, you know, so we're very parental to this day. I still get uh, a little, uh, uh, you know, even with their husbands and the and nieces, and it's your mindset. It's I, the mindset. I've yeah. always felt it from you carrying that. That's the last two of uh, a generation that yeah. held that dear. I really believe that. Yeah. Uh, it was a tough, uh, and my, so what was nice is that my mom, my sister and my, uh, who, three women I was close to my sister, Nancy, my mother, and my, uh, my wife, uh, loved me unconditionally and have never, uh, and until uh, they died, my mother and my sister never brought up the past. My wife has never brought up the past. They never yeah. said you were such a sluggo. You did this, you did that. They just, you know, said, what do we got to do to make this better? How do we get better? How yeah. do we, and, and I am so, so lucky to have had that because, uh, you know, my, uh, you know, most of my friends and everything were still in their own craziness or they were still in that, you know, the maturity mode, you know, trying to grow up and, and it was still fun to go out and carry, carry yeah. on and be crazy. And, uh, so, uh, you know, finding somebody to be supportive was not easy. And, yeah, I bet. and so they were, uh, and I was such a, uh, uh, I, I was good copy, you know, I, if you were out with me, you could, uh, you know, sit back and watch the show for us, all this for a buck, you know, it was good. Um, and I, uh, so I, I think it was good. To, it was good to be over, and I, I regret many, many things that I did and said, and and uh, for many years, and uh, some of which I was able to make good on, and some of which I, I, I never, ever will be. But uh, this is the early '80s, and you know, my dad got sober in the early '80s. Just the fact that you two know each other means you had a bad addiction, uh, and yeah. it was a rough town. Yeah. Um, I was at his 30, 30 day anniversary. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think we were. We got packed in the car when my mom saw cake. Yeah. She was, why are they giving each other trophies? Yeah. Like he got his chip, I remember. Yeah. Um, recovery wasn't known. <clears throat> like, cause I, just my own personal experience of thinking of, say, like a regional history of recovery. The 80s was exponential for people to enter recovery. Like, yeah, I think there was, um, you know, uh, 1982, Marworth opened. And uh, prior to Marworth, we had the detox down on uh, uh, at the state hospital. And one of the things that happened was we had a couple of fairly well-to-do individuals who got sober and yeah. were sober at the time and were fairly prominent business people and fairly prominent in social circles and, and made no bones about the fact that they were sober. Now, like me, I often joked that long before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was a member of Alcoholics Conspicuous, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that something was wrong, but uh, these guys, you know, didn't didn't hide that fact. And with the uh, entry of Marworth into the picture, um, it was around the same time as Betty Ford, all that stuff was happening. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a bad thing per se to go to treatment. Yeah. 
but some people made it to treatment who, uh, you know, at that up until that time, it's very difficult to get insurance to pay for it. And, uh, you know, uh, s- several people, several prominent people on boards of different insurance companies and hospitals ended up in treatment and suddenly it became okay to pay for it. That's and pretty much the story then, right? Pretty yep. much. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, I worked for Weiss markets <clears throat> when I got sober and, and uh, they had tons. It was Weiss Food Service. I was a bar supply salesman. And, and I was the first guy in the company to ever, that they knew, was in recovery. I'm sure we had a lot of other sober yeah, people. Sure. But, but I was 24 years old. And the uh, the guy who was the uh, ran it pulled me aside. He said, is there anything that we did to contribute to this? And wow, was, that's pretty conscientious. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, wow. He said, uh, you know, because we were having, you know, we'd have sales meetings at 10 o'clock in the morning. People will be crushing a little, a little bourbon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, I don't think food was served in the eighties for lunch no, and scrum. No. no, there weren't. Yeah. There were no kitchens and, <laughs> and bars. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it was, uh, it was that mentality. And a lot of people who just, you know, there were some good people, good, decent people who became aware and, and literally there was a, an explosion. Really. Yeah. Uh, and part of that came from the cocaine yeah. Thing which really kind of drove a lot. Um, but certainly the fact that um, uh, stigma we were, was starting to be attacked, maybe at a national level, drug I think, camp. I, I think we did a better job locally than yeah. we, nationally. We had, you know, a number of prominent people in political and, uh, uh, you know, judicial and, and all sorts of different worlds who became very conscious either of their own uh, problems or their family problems with it. And that made a huge difference because it, you couldn't argue it now with these guys because these were the guys that ran the world. Yeah. And, uh, and they were very easy to go into. And I, you know, I've been in the treatment business now since 1986. And, yeah. and I, uh, so I've had occasion to go in, you know, to meet with these people in each of those, uh, you know, generation since then and really have had nothing but uh, support. Most people, you know, you find most people are very supportive. Yeah. When, you know, cause you know, I was a good kid essentially from a pretty good family, you know, very respectable. The The joke now is I, I have a cousin, Bobby, who's out him here. He's a decent guy, great guy. And people always say to me, how do you and Bobby Knowles have the same DNA? Cause yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. such a good guy and he's a, uh, yeah. And he's a straight arrow, and uh, uh, and and they look at us, and, and I said, "Well, you know, we're both good guys," and they 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 laugh about it. But but my dad was a good, you know, and he was very involved in the community. He was president of Kiwanis and all that stuff. Yeah. And you know, we were. Uh, and now we, there's alcohol. Like to say the word alcoholic around there, it just doesn't seem like it would. Yeah. For, yeah. Especially from that generation, alcoholics yeah. were people who had no one. Right. And my father bought into it and made no bones about the fact my son uh, is a recovering alcoholic yeah. if you need some help. So and he got himself into trouble a couple of times where like his friends, kids would like get arrested or something. And he's interjecting you immediately. Yeah. He would call up and say, listen, uh, you know, if uh, went through this with my boy, if there's anything I can do to help you, and they'd be like, hey. Who are you? To, what are you saying? The guy. And of course, he's, you know, he's ahead of his time. Three years later. Yeah. Well, he, you know what it was? He was uh, he loved his children. Yeah. He loved his children more than he loved his pride. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and that's a powerful thing. And, you know, my brother got sober shortly thereafter and, uh, and he never, he never hid the fact from anybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was hard to, we were pretty, well, I don't think there's, we're fairly visible guys. So it was, uh, uh, I knew about you when I was 13 and (laughs) I didn't even know you. (laughs) And he, it lasted. It lasted. (laughs) Yeah. So we, you know, yeah. You have that, and uh, but I think it's um, – and when I first came to AA, there was a meeting a day in Scranton. Yeah. And uh, I I stayed for two years before I moved to the Poconos to become a counselor. I got in the field then, and – but then there were sometimes two a, two a two day. Two a day. You know, wow. And uh, – And you'd uh, get in cars. People would get in cars and go – could drive up to an yeah, hour well, to go to a meeting. I mean, going to a meeting meant you left the house at 6. So I left right after dinner. Mm-hmm. And I oftentimes got home in time to watch the eleven o'clock news. Yeah, and uh, it's like IOP. It's what we would call IOP today, yeah. level of care. <laughs> and you you realized uh, here. I'll tell you the my my favorite part of this was you you knew where you stood by where you sat in the car. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. So if you were in the middle in the back seat, yeah, you're the new guy. You were the new guy. You were pretty fresh. We used to call him a fresh one. 
Yeah. And uh, I can remember uh, riding in a car and these guys talking. And I remember thinking to myself, they don't expect me to tell all that stuff. I mean, they were telling my deep, dark secrets and laughing about it. Yeah. Like it was nothing. Yeah, that's and, wild. But they were really tight guys. And I was very, very blessed to be surrounded by a really tight group of guys who kind of took me on as a little yeah. brother type. Yeah. And then when I moved, I, I was in, down in, I lived in Delaware Water Gap. And Shawnee? I, was that, Shawnee, that's yeah, when I went that's to my Shawnee. brother, older brother. Yeah. I went through there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Through the whole clan. But the... Uh, he, uh, uh, I hooked up with this fabulous group of guys who were much older, even than the guys I was with before. These guys were my dad's age yeah. and a guy named Ed G, uh, took a liking to me and, uh, we would go to these meetings in North Jersey and, and Ed had been sober for probably 25, 30 years by then. And to listen to him, he had 12 step, yeah. uh, Bill W, but he had an incredibly colorful story and he was a fabulous speaker. Yeah. And so he was asked to speak all over and we would drive around with him. And uh, I felt very honored to, to be in that. And uh, but he he just was they had such wisdom. Yeah. These guys have been sober for a long time. They experienced things. They didn't go to school. They didn't have it. They just were they were regular people who raised families. And just, I mean, I, when I I had young children at the time and they were phenomenal in how they helped me and. I, you know, I always tell the story when I was six months sober, I, I was all pissed off. My wife was kissing me every night when I got home. Uh, well, because she loved me. She was smelling. The, she was yeah. waiting up. To yeah, see my grandmother would do that when I come home. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sitting around and I'm talking to one of the guys, uh, looks at me and says, well, what time do you get home? So I don't know, about 11 o'clock. So I said, you know, we go out for coffee and everything. I, I say, I get home. He said, uh, well, she thinks the meeting's over at nine. She's wondering what's going on in yeah. the two hours. He said, why don't you call her and tell her, you know. <laughs> here's an idea. Yeah. Here's a call her and tell her you're going for coffee. Yeah. And I looked at him and I said, you know, this is my wife, not my mother. Yeah. And he didn't even blink an eye. And he said, you know, John, if you treated your wife more like your mother, maybe you wouldn't have these problems. Yeah. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, my name's Joe Van William the host of All Better. I'm also the CEO of Fellowship House. Now, Fellowship House, we believe long-term recovery requires a personality change as well as a clinical intervention. These ideas can take several months to achieve. Our philosophy is to provide a safe, therapeutic, and exceedingly active environment for patients to achieve these personality changes. And find joy in the fellowship of recovery, which will allow for long-term sobriety. We believe that recovery extends beyond treatment and peer-to-peer communities into real life. In Fellowship House, we provide a design for living that focuses on education and service. We have strong relationships with the 12 universities and vocational schools in the area and ensure that our fellows pursue their personal goals while entering sobriety. We also stress independence and responsibility, making sure each individual is financially solid and self, and helping to make their community a better place. As a treatment center, Fellowship House offers both residential and outpatient treatment services to individuals and families affected by addiction and alcoholism. We're a DDAP licensed provider of general outpatient intensive outpatient, and partial hospitalization programming, as well as a level of care assessments. If you want to find out more information about Fellowship House, please visit fellowshiphouses.com. It's strange. You know, I don't feel like I want to be inconsiderate to people, but I never, like these, I learned a lot of that stuff. Where do these guys learn that stuff? Like, (laughs) wow, that's that secret class. And I, and I started doing that and here I am 41 years later, a happily married married man. Yeah. Yeah, But they, you know, they just like went to them. They, it was like, yeah, just do this. You know, the, uh, we're sitting there one time and a guy, uh, couldn't find his car or something, you know, and he said, I can't find my car. And they, they said, we'll get one of those things that beep. 
Like, like who thinks of that stuff? This was long before that yeah. stuff was normal. The and Mavericks of AA. Yeah, yeah, they were just, you know, they understood that you were damaged. You're damaged goods and you didn't understand and you couldn't think. And uh, and so they would give you these little, you know, these it's, little hints. It's, you, you're in a strange place. You're you're an old timer now. Yeah. And you're, you're a pioneer of the 80s. But when you guys came around, you have like Bernie and oh, yeah. all those guys, they're telling you how it was 30 years prior to that, which was new. Yeah. You. Well, Eddie used to say to me all the time, he said, you know, you were, he said, unfortunately, he never got a chance to go to meetings with Bill W. Because Bill yeah. had died five years before I got sober. And, uh, he said, but you go to meetings with guys who went to meetings with Bill. Yeah. And I remember, I always thought about that. And they gave me this wonderful, you have to come to my office. And I have this great plaque in my office that traces back my conversation to the guy who had, who ran the first uh, uh, intergroup in, in Canada. The conversation that Bill talked to Bob, who talked to George, who talked to Gary, who talked to Jim, who started the first meeting in Canada, who 12-stepped Jim, who's now talking to John, yeah. who's talking to you. And I used to always have it on my office wall. And when patients would complain, I'd say, listen, pal, this isn't rocket science. You're only three people removed from hearing this. Yeah. This is the original yeah. message was here, and this is here. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I really uh, – I, I try and remember that. And I, you know, and I, sometimes I think like I'll, I'll be at a meeting and I want to say anything. I think, well, nobody talked about a step here. You know, we're yeah. 45 minutes into this and everybody's problem is their problem, but how does recovery work this back? And do you have an obligation to say something? You know, and these guys you can, were, you can, I, I've, I've found a weird mix. I had a hard relapse. Mm -hmm. I have 14 years. So I feel de delegitimized that whatever information is right or wrong. Right. Am I all right? And I wasn't all right yet. So what I go to this, I, I feel an urge I could share to help that guy. Yeah. I'm not doing well. It was a weird mix for me. Um, but I think AA's changed so much because, you know, you have, I always saw this clash of the guys that were just blue collar in Scranton fellowship. They worked the steps, but they weren't booked, but they didn't go through the book. These yeah. were, these were relationships. You found a friend and mm -hmm. it might've been your first real friend. Then like a fundamentalist book guy, if I'm too far on each one of them, me personally, I've, I lose touch of why I'm in AA. Yeah. I'm not being authentic. Like yeah. I, th I don't think it's, I'll be honest with you, Joe. It's weird. It's, it's changed very little since I started. Re AA is really pretty much the same. It's just, uh, it's diluted a little bit more. Diluted. And, you know, it's always been, you know, there's the, pro uh, there's the, the fellowship of AA and there's the program of AA. Yeah. And like it or not, you can, you can survive on the fellowship for a period of time and some guys forever just because they need a place to go. I mean, AA is a great place for, for, for people who can't make it anywhere else. <laughs> You're looking at one. <laughs> a lot of crazy people drop in and because, because the only place where the crazier you are, the more popular you are. Well, you got more cred. Yeah. That's a great guy. He's going to help a lot of people yeah. once he gets better. Yeah. Look at this guy. He's nuts. Thank God I'm not as bad as him, but the, uh, and then, you know, the program, some people have different, ver you know, it's, it's yeah. I think it dilutes itself a little bit. Uh, I was in New England for a while and, you know, they had the original big book study guys up there and, mm -hmm. and I had been sober for 25 years. And uh, this guy who was sober for two years who had gone through the pro program or process yeah. and I was sitting in this AA meeting and I went to talk and he goes, have you been through the book? Yeah, that's intense. <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I said, give me a page. I can quote it to you. Yeah. Well, I probably could. Yeah, sure. And, uh, uh, but he said, well, no, the way this works is, well, I said, but you're in the, you know, so now I, I you know, my, now my old timer yeah, hat came out. It's go time. Yeah. I said, <laughs> but you're in the, you're in the AA thing. It doesn't say come only if you've gone through our thing. Yeah. It says open meeting. And, uh, I said, if you want to, I said, you know, I know about the steps and I know about the traditions. And I said, uh, chances are pretty good. I know about the concepts too, which you may not even know there are any, you yeah. know, and, and how that drives what, what we do in AA and, and makes it happen. But what was, what was different is I think the, the, the you know, there was a big book meeting. Uh, when I first came to AA, uh, you talked about what you read. Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't, so it wasn't a formalized study guide. You know, I went to the Wednesday night, uh, and it was strongly suggested that you attend one or two big book meetings a week. Yeah. And my sponsor, uh, was all about, uh, take this topic to the meeting. Yeah. So I'd be reading something in the book and he, 
And he yeah, would say, yeah. He would say, take this to the meeting and people would bring it up. So I think it was, it was a little more formalized process in, in the, in the program. But I think, you know, as time goes on, it gets to, you know, you hear, uh, you know, and I get, I got confronted just recently. Some guy said, well, you're going to get drunk. You're not going to enough meetings. And I said, well, I, thank you. You know, I appreciate that. And I did appreciate that. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't agree with it, but you know, everybody's, you know, his, he's got his belief system, but yeah, I think what happens is, is it's uh, like, like many things, you know, early on you, you 30 days uh, in the first 30 days you were here, you read the big book, you went through the steps, you got all your stuff done. Yeah. You were ready. You were ready to roll. And you had that profound awakening as, yeah. a, as a result. It's uh, uh I made the mistake early on. I didn't read the book, you yeah. know, and, uh, uh, you know, I used to have a big book study guide next to my phone. So these guys I sponsored would call me up and I'd say, uh, I'd go I'd see the, the top notes. I'd go page 17, click or page 449, click, you know, and these guys I was sponsoring were getting remarkably sober reading this stuff, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then I went back and to a point now where today I read something every day and sometimes a page, a paragraph, whatever, you know, first thing in the morning, but, by the end of the day, something occurs that I can use some, some bit of knowledge. There's, and, it, you know, I think it follows a lot of different things that, that we do in life. But the more I, the longer I'm sober, the more simple my program becomes. And the more I yeah. realize <clears throat> that really nothing's really but changed. But reading is a, a part of it. Uh, I mean, I kept that. That's how I was kind of taught. If it's not a, a morning intention. Uh, the big book, or if I'm not re- reading it with someone, it's kind of, uh, I want to read, I have to read something because I've been so monumentally wrong about yeah. things that. And we stuck to the, you know, I mean, you got a face full if you, if you tried, if you read something other than a, yeah. a, the privilege. So, uh, like I remember uh, going through the Cain to Believe book. Yeah. You know, and those are, those were great. I like that book. Thing. And then Living Sober. You know, simple stuff like how to go to a party, how to do, you know, and like they, they would refer you back to those stories. They're great. And, you know, guys like Bernie and Ed, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Saturday night at Nativity 630, you pick a different book every. Yeah, every week you yeah. could go, right? Yeah. You'd sit there. I remember that meeting. I, I was probably six months sober and I'm sitting in the back and Al and uh, Bill, these two guys are sitting there and. And everybody was as old as my parents. You yeah, know? I mean, sure. I, I thought this is it. This is my punishment. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to smell like a cigarette and hang out in church basements. And uh, and he looks at me and he goes, uh, Nolsey, he goes, uh, looking for the answer, aren't you? I said, yeah, 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 yeah. He looked, does the look around like he's going to give me the secret. Like, all right. we're gonna. And I'm thinking, because in my world, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate. My dad, uh, whenever we had a problem or something, my dad always ex- had us talk to his friend. So I was always exposed to older men in my life who were, were wise mentors. And yeah. so, so that part of AA really clicked for me, you know, yes. that, that, that yeah. I was able to connect and, and I didn't feel uncomfortable with the generational stuff um, because the guys, like the young guys were, four, I was 24, they were 40 years old. They no. were calling them, you know, they're saying, well, go, their go, competition, go. you, you, you yeah. found sages yeah. and a father figure. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I got the guys who were 65 years old, 70 years old and they were, and, uh, and he, so I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, uh, he looks around and he whispers to me, if you don't drink, you don't get drunk. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then sits back up like, like he had just given me the answer. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, what the, f-? and, and it was a great, uh, it was a great lesson for me that, uh, you know, you, you suit up and you show up and you do the everyday stuff and that, you know, being sober is a part of life. It's yeah. not, you know, life, it, there's not, there's not a secret answer. And they had a really clever way that the spiritual awakening is drinking wasn't the problem. Right. It was the first solution to a problem I couldn't identify. Yeah. And like everybody had a, everybody had a nickname, you know, like bicycle, Bob, yeah, dumpster, yeah. Bruce. Yeah. Like, I remember we had this guy whitey up in at Syracuse and, and he passed away, or he was in the hospital. So I went to yeah. see him. And I said, well, is Whitey here? And the guy, <laughs> like the guy at the girl at the desk is going, I said, you know, I don't have a clue. And she said, I know who you're looking for, only because 30 people have been here looking for him. And she tells me his name. And I said, uh, and I, which I found pretty humorous. He had yeah. a funny first name. I said, well, I was not aware of that. So I get up there and I said, Wait, what's this? He goes, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the story. He said, I, when I went to AA, I went to my first AA meeting, he said, and I was, I was really coming off the stuff and I was in tough shape. This was like in 1955 or something. And he, 
He said, John, I was scared, scared shitless. He said, I get to the door and the door flies open and this little midget of a guy comes running out and he looks at me and goes, uh, looking for the AA meeting? And I went, hama, 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 hama. And he said, and I went back against the wall and the guy went, uh, what's your name? And he said, and I couldn't, I kept going, hama, hama. He goes, well, you're white as a ghost. We'll call you whitey. Yeah, that's it. You got it in his last forever. And it lasts forever. So his family said at his funeral, his wife said to me, I said, you know, Whitey was a good friend. And she said, you're a friend of Bill's. I said, yes. And she said, uh, we knew him as so-and-so. And, uh, but everybody in AA knew him as, and, and so you talk about anonymous and, yeah. and there were a hundred of those, you know, we had shop right Pat and we, you know, we had, uh, yeah. you know, we used to go, if you got drunk, uh, you know, we would be, we had a guy, a buddy of ours who worked at a deli and we each had a day to go and order cheese. And yeah. They, you know, we would stand there with our little uh, number and they'd say, oh, would you like, no, we're going to wait for, for Joe here. We're going to, and then he would come and he's hung over and he's like a dog and he'd be like, and our job was simply to say, you're ready. And he'd go, uh, no, I don't think I'm ready yet. And, and then every Sunday we go to the meeting and Eddie would be there and we'd report in. You know, if yeah. I said yes, we'd call Eddie up and say, hey, Eddie, he says he's ready, you know, and, and like, and finally, after about three, four months, uh, I go down, we used to meet at Howard Johnson's and there he is uh, sitting in the middle of the back seat. <laughs> is this Syracuse? This is down in Delaware Watergate. Oh, Del I always was at a hojo with my daddy. That was his breakfast yeah. spots everywhere. Yeah, everywhere they went. And so we get in, uh, we get in the car and he's in the back and the uh, and he just smiled and said, yeah, he finally gave in, you know. But, yeah. but that's what you would do is you would, uh, you know, if somebody came, I mean, you put the time in. I used to do the answering service over at uh, on uh, South Irving Avenue. We had, yeah. There was a little office Southside. there. Yeah, Southside. And on Sunday nights, which was tough because Sunday night was like the fun meeting. It yeah. was the Elm Park meeting. And that's when like everybody, young people, old people, everybody came together, 300 people there. And I'm over there answering the phones and, and you got one call a night, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And, uh, but I would answer it. And then I used to, you know, I used to get the phone calls. They, people would call in and they would give you, you know, they'd give, uh, they call you and give you their number. I'd hear Joe called in. Can you give him a call? And I call, you know, all the time. And, and, uh. And they could result sometimes in what would be a 12 step call. Yeah. Two guys would be ready to go to a house. Yeah, you would go. So the way I remember the first twelve-step call I went on, it was uh, I went with this guy Ted, and uh, he said, "Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go in. And we're going to tell him a five-minute version of our story." He said, "If you go longer, I'm going to I'm going to tell you to stop." Right. He goes, "We're going to say, would you like to hear more?" And if he says yes, we're we're going to keep talking. If he says no, we're going to shake his hand. We're going to leave. We're going to tell him to call yeah. us when he's ready. And he said, that's how we're, we're just going to keep going until he uh, says no. Wow. And so we sat there for about an hour and a half and uh, we said, do you mind if we come back tomorrow night Yeah. Uh, to go to a meeting? And he said, yes. And so, all right. So he called his wife and this guy explains the whole thing. I mean, this guy had done like, and I was, I was terribly intrigued by this. I, you know, yeah. I was fairly fresh myself, but I was like, wow. And uh, so I couldn't wait till the next night, you know. We get there the next night, and of course the guy's shit faced. So, uh, can, I, can I say that? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a podcast. It's yeah. pirate radio, right. baby. <laughs> so he, you know, this, the guy's drunk, and uh, the wife is beside herself, um, but he wants to go. Said, well, no, I'm still going. Yeah, sure. So we took him. Yeah, and uh, uh, came back. We came back probably for two weeks, and then finally he ended up in the hospital. We went to see him in the hospital. And I remember walking into the room, right? Now, I yeah. was a salesman at the time, so I had a suit on. The guy was with that suit on. The wife called us. We come into the hospital room. The doctor was in there with him. And uh, the guy I was with said, uh, my name's Ted. This is my friend John. We're from AA. And the doc just, like, uh, closed up everything and walked out the door. You know, he's, he's a great... And he just walked out the door. His job's done. Yeah. <laughs> you guys do your thing. Let me know if you need anything from me. And, and we sat and talked to the guy and, the, and then, and it, he's, I believe he, he ended up dying sober. He was, yeah. he was a great, he was funniest guy, but it was one of those deals. And then I, you know, one time at Christmas Eve, uh, I, I got a call and I go over to this guy's yeah. house and I get there and I, uh, I couldn't get anybody to go with me. 
call my spice. Well, go and that was the rule. You, you need to. It's pretty much. much. Yeah. Pretty much too. But my, I've been sober about two years at this time. My spouse said, go over and see what the story is. And so I go to the house. I, I knock on the door. The mother goes, oh, thank God you're here. And, or, or he says, the guy answers the door. He goes, thank God you're here. And I, I walk in and the mother comes up and she said, uh, he goes, so, mom, it's the guy from AA. I'll be back in 30 days. <laughs> oh, <you're> just, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I'm a, so his bags are packed. He's ready to get, yeah. Oh God. So yeah. I just grabbed his bags and threw them in the trunk. Yeah. And I'm thinking, all right. And this what was do you before, do? Cause this was before cell phones yeah. and stuff. Or like, there was no rehab lined up, right? Yeah. Oh, so we, you, I, I went and knocked on the door at Marworth. Yeah. At detox. And they didn't wow. even blink an eye. And uh, they yeah, brought awesome. him in. They made a couple of phone calls. And uh, do you miss that? I do. I miss that. Yeah. That's, I think that's everybody does. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's uh uh, it was, it was, well, you know what it was? It was incredibly rewarding Yeah, because you really felt like you had done something and it was, uh, but, but you know, the other part was rarely, if ever, did you take somebody to detox? It, yeah. you know, they'd have to, you, you went and picked them up and, and watching the transformation in these guys and, and you'd be very subtle about introducing the program Yeah, uh, until they, until you, you know, you finally said to them, listen, pal. There's, yeah. there's another side to the, just gotta, drying out. Yeah. So now that you're clean, we're going to get you a book and mm -hmm. uh, you ought to start reading it. We ought to probably start chatting about this. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, and, and you, there were subtle ways to do it. I got a taste of it. I was 16, 18. When I first yeah. came to AA, Sam, Sammy K. Yeah. We get a call from intergroup or with Kevin at S. Mm -hmm. I was in the car. I was the young kid, but I, I sat in the yeah. living room. I didn't talk. Yeah. We'll point at you if you want you to say anything. Yeah. And I went with them and I learned a lot. But those two experiences you just talked about, that was prior to you um, being in the field, right? Yeah. yeah. Did that draw you to want to immerse yourself more into a clinical? I tell you, you know, I, uh, the way I got into the field was I was sober for, I was 25 years old, I'd been sober for two years and yep. opened an adolescence center. And I was very close friends with a lot of the people that were involved in running the place. I had no inkling to do it as a very yeah. successful guy and I was making a good money. My wife was a nurse. I was very happy. Yeah. Was, my life was really starting to, to kick in. And uh, I get a phone call one day and they said, come on down. We want to talk to you. And I stopped into, they took me for a tour of the place and they said, what do you think? And I said, yes, it's nice. They said, we think you'd be a great counselor. Is this Shawnee yeah. in Delaware? Yeah. I remember that. We had my dad worked there. Yeah. Probably at the same time. Yeah. You, was we worked together. Yeah. And we T, went up to New York. My cousin T. Martin. My cousin T and I shared an office together. Yeah. He I followed. would sit in that hotel. I'd spend weekends there. I was just getting to spend yeah. more time with my father. He was yeah. sober. He and Charlie had the, Charlie. the little apartment up the yeah. road. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, my wow, wife. That was, I forgot about that. Too. Yeah. My wife and I, they, uh, and, and so I, you know, and I'm thinking, I don't know this, uh, and I, so I went back and uh, I went to my dad and my father said, listen, you're a great salesman. He said, you'll always be a great salesman. Sure. Uh, we, you'll always find a job making money in sales. If you don't do this, you'll regret this the rest of your life. He said, I think you have a talent for it. He said, but yeah. you're, you're going to have to figure that out yourself. He said, but uh, if you don't give it a shot. Yeah. You don't do it. And then by the grace of God, I, you know, they offered my wife a position too. And I, I remember saying to, you know, do you want to do this? And, you know, I mean, it meant picking up and moving. Yeah. We had two young kids and three oh, young wow. kids yeah, at that right. time. And we were, you know, I had three babies and I was, you know, we were, you know, I mean, it was a, we didn't think, we were stupid. We didn't think anything of it. We just went and moved into an area where it cost us three times as much to yeah, live. Yeah, I'm back. Oh, geez. You know, I, I, I went from that. being a salesman, you know, with a company car to, I had to buy a used 10 speed and ride it to work every day Yeah, uh, in the suit, Yeah, you know, and, uh, for two years. Wow. Yeah. And I, and then I didn't think, you know, no. I remember, uh, uh, I think I was pretty smart because I had a bicycle clipped. So I had my chain, the chain oil it doesn't go to the pants. <laughs> yeah. My pants. I thought I was a pretty sharp guy, <laughs> <laughs> but I would, you know, and I'd ride in the rain. I'd, you know, and I never thought anything of it. And, uh, uh, you know, we had one car and that was the way it was. And she ran the family program and uh, it was uh, a great opportunity for the two of us. You know, she and was, did you feel fulfilled? I mean, you had to by the work. I was very was threatened and 
very frightened yeah. in the beginning because I felt very inadequate. Yeah. So I was, I was, uh, I was the young kid and most of the people I worked with, uh, because I was a full on therapist. Yeah. And I, once, you know, I got thrown out of college after one semester. I mean, that yeah, was this, my, the eighties. That's how you entered therapy for drug and alcohol. Yeah. I mean, today's world, I couldn't get a job as a driver. Yeah. You know, with what I brought to the table, but, uh, I got assigned to this guy, Joe Harrison, and Joe had worked with Dr. Stuckey, who was the first, he was really the first guy in the, in the business back in the fifties and sixties yeah. who uh, gave credibility to recovering people to be counselors. And he did the first clinic at Summit Oaks hospital that later became Fair Oaks. And uh, he, uh, he was, you know, he's used to lock the door and he said, don't let anybody in. He said that these doctors and therapists come in, they'll, they'll screw it all up. Let the drunks talk to the drunks. And, and he really gave credibility to that. And Joe oh, was his wild. clinical director. And Joe's an Episcopalian minister uh, who was probably in his mid-60s at that time. Was kind of stooped over. Was one of the funniest men I had ever met. Had a phenomenally funny story. Had been the uh, rector at Princeton University and drank himself out of the job. And, you know, really had a great story. But he was uh, an incredibly talented psychotherapist. Yeah. And very, very knowledgeable. And I got to sit at his side for two years. And and like an apprentice. I, it was uh, better than any college education I ever could have gotten. It's apprenticeship. It's it real. Was, yeah. It really was. Mentorship and apprenticeship. And he was just a phenomenon. I worked for a guy, John Leadham, probably the best uh, therapist I've ever yeah. been exposed to. John had an incredible talent with kids and uh, psychodrama and stuff like that. And so I had phenomenal exposure. And uh, he came on board uh, about a year into my, he and I shared, now we used to have the office at the end of the hall and we used to joke that nobody ever bought, nobody wanted, we're, we were there cause we're the guys nobody wanted to talk to. You know, I was this tough guy and he was a beatnik and, uh, they, we, we got all the, uh, difficult, uh, guys or, you know, real colorful guys and heroin addicts. And we got the first HIV guys, and, yeah. you know, and we were just, we we're down at the end of the hall and yeah, those, and we never left. You know, we had our little place. We weren't interested in the politics and the nonsense. No. And, and we were just down there, you know, we'd had, talking to one guy after the other. It was really just an incredibly rewarding uh, process. And we learned a lot from each other. And, uh, and it was, uh, and I worked in a system that was very uh, encouraging of that. You know, it was, uh, spent a lot of time, you know, processing and talking. And, uh, and Joe was just very good at, you know, the base, I had a guy, Tim Valley was my first clinical director who, uh, Tim used to give me assignments to take home every night. And there were little magazine articles and things to this day. I read something yeah. every day. Uh, and I recommend it to, to staff all the time. And, but I, if there's what, something that happens, even if I know about it, I, I look it up and read and I read a scholarly article, not yeah, it's, you know, WebMD or something, which sometimes isn't bad. But I, I try and you know, I, I, I subscribe to a couple of uh, things so that so I, I stay fresh. Keeps and, fresh, yeah. He's fresh, and I learn. You learn a lot of stuff, you know. I've learned a lot yeah. from yeah, from, yeah, from, from you. I would be calling you. You're my WebMD. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you find you know what are the meds? What are the different things? What are the side effects? What are you know how could this impact? Uh, a simple, but sometimes better better stabilizing approaches. Yeah. can get complex. And yeah. I, and yeah. it's, it's a lot different now with some of the different things that are going on. So, so if, as a career thing, Tim was just a great, great guy Mentor. in my life. And then from here, I had a guy named Bill Williams was my, my yeah. next one. And Bill was, Bill was the real deal. He was uh crazy. Bill fun. Williams. Did he end up, uh, I think, was he the clinical director at the end of his tenure at uh blue mountain house? Of Hope? Yeah. He yeah. tried to turn that place yeah. around. I was there. You you sent me I there. Probably sent you there. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember that. Holy smokes! That, yeah, good that, guy. I stayed there six months, John. Guess what? I was sober fourteen years after that. Yeah, yeah. 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 You got good. You had two good guys running the show for you. Right? Well, you, you, had, you bossing me around, yelling at me to get my ears punctured. <laughs> I was trying to pull some bratty shit. This is when I was up Telly Hill. Uh -huh. you, you just grab me. You said, "Cut the shit, yeah. or I'm going to toss you." You'll be walking back to Scranton. <laughs> Yeah, and I could be a very impressionable guy. Well, you so. knew I was from Scranton. I was trying to see where the line was with you. Yeah, we used to have up there, we had all the prison guards. Yeah. And uh, they were fun because you bring them in and, you know, they were tough guys. And I'd bring yeah. them in and they'd, 
you throw a couple of, you play a couple things with them. Yeah. And, uh, there was a mixed bag there. I saw you have to draw the line, but it, I had a good roommate. He was, he was an old mustache gangster, Utica. Yeah. yeah. And, um, it was a good place. I, it was. We had a good, yeah. a good plan. I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate my whole career that I've been exposed to just great people, great places. And then when I got, like I moved from uh, Shawnee to uh, Syracuse, Tully, New York yeah. in 1990. And uh, this was a little farm town. And there was a an AA meeting there on Friday nights. Yeah. And uh, my sponsor in Syracuse said, go to that meeting, look around the table, see who looks like they might be the most sober guy in the room and ask him to be your temporary sponsor. Cause you just moved up there. You just moved That's there. great. He says, you know, and don't call me, call him and uh, call me in a week. Let me know what it goes. So, so I walk in and there's these four guys sitting there and the one guy's still drunk. The other guy is, uh, uh, you know, just a, a hard working farmer. And then this other guy from Ireland, who's just this incredibly colorful guy, salesman. And uh, the meeting's over. And I said, my, you know, I'm new one, blah, blah, blah. blah. I told him, said, uh, could you be my, and he ended up being my sponsor for 10 years. I mean, we had wow. a phenomenal relationship. He was one of the funniest guys I ever. How long were you in Syracuse? 10 years? No, we were there till 2007. 2007. Okay. 17 years. So we were at Tully Hill for 13 years. And then uh, mm -hmm. I went to Central New York Services, which was uh, uh, mentally ill, chemically dependent. And you, at the time you left Tully Hill, you were the clinical director yep. when I was there. Yeah. Uh, and then you left to work for the, that was the state New York or was that a private? No, it was a private. It was called Central New York Services. Yeah. It was, uh, it became the director of residential services. It yeah. Was, it was fun. In between, I had a very short stint at a place called Peace Incorporated, which was a, a community action agency, Head Start, Early Head Start. And uh, it was, uh, it was a great job because it was social work and social services, which I had not been exposed to. And, but uh, I, I was the administrator and I, I didn't have a clue. But uh, is it a big, it's a big change DNA to just straight yeah, social work is DNA is, you can challenge the person's challenge. addiction. Yeah, and there's not as much drama in regular stuff because the, the social drama work takes a real nuance of non-judgment and, and, much so. and an embracement of harm reduction. The things that we weren't encouraged to care about yeah. to get sober. Not so much challenging, but assisting. Yeah. And, and it was uh, a lot of policy. Yeah. And, you know, my role was just like, listen, we got this agency that grew to 450 employees and <laughs> yeah, it's got this $25 million budget. We know they're robbing us blind. We don't know who. Uh, Things so, get too big, man. And, I, you know, I stayed. I was on for uh, a year. I fired about 150 people. and uh, um, Nice guy, John. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. John, Mr. Knowles. <laughs> They'd run when they came in, but it was, you know, it was just it was a big was, change for you probably. Right. Yeah. They were not, they were good people who were, there were people there who worked incredibly hard to, yeah. to make a difference in the, in a very, very difficult world. And I was exposed to a guy who was a great, the CEO was a great guy and, uh, had been an old political guy and, and really knew his stuff and, yeah. uh, Irish Catholic and just a, he was very you cool. need a political beast on staff to yeah, navigate. Yeah, he was. Uh, he used to say he was the guy who said, uh, "You know, let's walk the cat back." You know, the cat. Yeah, that's a and, good line. Yeah, everybody hates it because I say it all the time. But the so let's walk the cat back and find out what happened here. And Tully Hill was a great. I had a great experience there. It was uh, Carl Cabza. Yeah, was the uh, guy who founded the Marine Corps program for addictions. And, and oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he's the guy who hired Father Martin to do the first chalk talk in seventy one or seventy. Yeah, back in the I was just Trump. reading about. That. I didn't know that was the man, but Tully Hill was pretty progressive too. I think it was more progressive than what we were very much known so, for yeah. here. Yeah. yeah, acupuncture first time. I yeah, my wife was an act. She she did the acupuncture program, and mm -hmm. they did uh, acupuncture for detox. Uh, we were lucky. Carl was a smart guy. Father, Father Martin was a very good friend of his. He used to come up all the time. Yeah. I always joke, these guys all, you know, I, yeah. I, I got to be very close with Mrs. Delaney down at uh, mm -hmm. Lena Lodge. Elena. Uh, she, however, liked my wife better. And then uh, when we got to Tully Hill, Father Martin became a, a big part of our lives and he liked yeah. my wife better. And yeah. <laughs> that seemed to be the pattern that uh, Stacy won these guys. Well, it's over. not a bad attribute. <laughs> it's not. And, uh, you know, I was very, Mrs. Delaney was a great yeah, during role be loved. Yeah. She showed me a lot and she was, she was good. And she was my buddy from the program. Yeah. You know, she wasn't my, you know, I, she, she knew I was in the field and I always joked that she made my bones that I was at a, uh, 
uh, I was at Rutgers, the School of Alcoholism Studies. The, they'd have it for a week in the summer every year, and everybody who was anybody got together there. This was probably 92, and I'm sitting. Uh, I had just moved to Syracuse two years before, and I hadn't seen her, and she was going to be the main speaker. So I got an aisle seat in this huge uh, auditorium, packed. And up in the front were all these guys who ran the EAP programs for Johnson & Johnson, yeah. J.P. Morgan, all the – all the big, you know, Ford, uh, New Jersey Bell, New York big, Telephone, yeah. and these were the guys you wanted to be your pals because they they and, and they they referred a ton of people. And, and she came walking in, and she, as she's walking down, I waved to her, and she stopped, and I stood up, and she gave me a hug, and she pinched my cheeks. <laughs> and a, and these ten guys are like, "Well, who's this kid?" You know. Yeah. And afterwards, they all came up and introduced themselves to yeah, me. They wanted, <laughs> they wanted they wanted to be my pal because very she, Machiavellian. Let's yeah. we'll get in through Knowles. <laughs> yeah, she was. Uh, they were terrified of her because they were her. Sure, she had, they had been she, her. Uh, she was tough. Her, right? Yeah, she was tough, and she she treated me. Uh, farewell. I, and I have a lot of those stories. And so uh, you'll have to come back to yeah. tell them because we're running, but um, I was going to have T on to speak about mm -hmm. some of the old stories. Yeah. T's still there part time. He's still down. He will retire. Yeah. 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 He's done. And he, uh, great, great guy. You know, he's here friends with my brother, Jimmy. Um, he had a lot of uh, rich history. We, we, yeah. Will you come back again? Sure. Would love to come back. Because I want to pick up from Tully Hill. I want to talk about some of the, the changes you've been, uh, you yeah. experienced firsthand as in clinical and the rise of different levels of care mm -hmm. and what you think about them. It's, it's changed. It's, that has yep. changed a yeah. lot. Yeah. There's a lot of, it's much more formalized. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunately become incredibly competitive. Yeah. And uh, competitive, interestingly enough, it's not as competitive in the for-profit world yeah. as it is in the nonprofit. nonprofit. And the nonprofit world is uh, seeing some of their market share really disappear significantly. Yeah. And, and you know, there's good and bad. There's good and bad. There's a There's, lot to unpack because you you, yeah. you see the damage of some things, but some benefits rise out of something else, like transitional living houses that are new and sure. being funded. Yeah, no, we're part of healthcare, and healthcare is an evolving thing. And there's new evidence and new things coming on. And in competition, I don't know. I mean, in ten years, you'll really be able to measure. Was it good? Did it get rid of who was better? I don't know. Yeah. You I don't think know. Joe, the big thing now is. Uh, you can't operate unless you do best practice. So that's kind of yeah. behind us. So now the key is, uh, you know, what's your outcome look like? You know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and, and what you'll see more and more of is uh, from an industry standpoint is that good guys are going to connect with each other. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're going to, they're going to work hard to do the right thing. And then the guys who decide not to, uh, are going to be left holding the bag. It becomes apparent pretty quickly, right? Yeah, because, yeah. you know, the, the reality is, is what, you know, uh, we know the most success you're going to have is if we get you into three or four levels of care. Yeah. And uh, and those people who do that, you know, ha have into the 60s, 70s in terms of percentage of yeah. success. Insurance companies know it. We know it. Everybody knows the longer we can get you into varying levels of care. Um and and it's the probability well, for long term sobriety increases, increases exponentially. exponentially. Yeah. And uh, so the key is finding those people, you know, with the shared values that are going to be able to to do it in a way that uh, is productive. Yeah. John, I'm glad you came on. It's it's complex. I want, there's so much I want to talk to you about. We mm -hmm. got to unpack three decades of rich yeah, A history fun stuff. Yeah, from here to the Poconos to Syracuse. Um, there's a lot more I'd like to talk to you about that's current and relative as you're you're seeing it. Um, uh, I value that knowledge and I value all the help you've given me over the years and my family. So thanks again for coming on. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'd like to thank you for listening to another episode of All Better. You can find us on allbetter.fm. Or listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Alexa. Special thanks to our producer, John Edwards, and engineering company 570 Drone. Please like or subscribe to us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And if you're not on social media, you're awesome. Looking forward to seeing you again. And remember... Just because you're sober doesn't mean you're right.
Hi, this is Joe Van Wee, your host of All Better. I had a few announcements. If you're interested in subscriber content, which we're about to launch, this would be step workshops, cognitive behavioral therapy tools, and mindfulness practices that are approachable and can be very useful in reducing anxiety, rumination, and depression. Please send us a, a message on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And if you like the episodes that you've been hearing very much, please stop by Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and a small review. This helps us stay relevant in the field of content and helping people and their families with substance use disorder. Thank you.